Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we discuss the fine line between using the exclamation point too much and seeming unhinged or too little and coming off a little mean. And it really at heart is about policing women's speech. But first, it is our chance to sit back and relax with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have the host of the podcast, Fake the Nation, and a recent attendee of a Magic Mushroom Retreat, Nagin Farsad. Nagin, hello. <laughs> hello. I am currently I'm currently not um, under psychedelic drugs. I, I appreciate am currently that. <laughs> totally sober. So, hello. You can check out her story on that shroom trip in Afar Magazine. Also with us is Elise Hugh, the host of the TED Talks Daily Podcast. Elise, hello. Hello. It's good to be back. A note to listeners, I have used 12 exclamation points so far in this script for what it's (laughs) worth. Uh, But this week's (laughs) topics that we want to talk about are all kind of accidentally about laws and lawsuits. Let's get into it. This week, someone in Washington, D.C. sued Powerball for posting the wrong winning numbers in January of last year. He had those numbers, and so he thought he was winning $340 million, which he did not. And so he ended up suing Powerball for that amount, citing negligence and emotional distress. I do admire the effort. I think this is a really interesting little story. What do you think about it, Nagin? Honestly, so I am in the terrible business of uh, being a comedian and of Hollywood. (laughs) And there's been moments where people, important people be like, Nagin, you're getting the thing, the thing that you want. And then the next day they'll be like, just kidding. (sighs) Last minute they decided against you, right? (laughs) And so when I read this story, I immediately felt like, oh my God, he's he's accidentally a comedian right now it causes like, emotional you know, distress it causes <laughs> emotional distress i believe that the screen actors guild should have a fund dedicated to this emotional distress that we have to experience and so when this guy sued for it i was like this makes so much sense yeah that is the worst he thought he won 340 million dollars but he didn't i mean he's owed something I mean, that is quit your job money, you know, like to be able to like, even if you thought that for like 15 seconds, that let down, I think you should be able to sue for that. Yeah. This guy is a victim of circumstance here because Powerball did screw up. So I think the story indicates they were running some test numbers and Mm. those test numbers went public and those test numbers happened to match the ticket that this guy who is suing had. And Obviously, he is unlikely to get $340 million out of this lawsuit. No, that but let's matter. say he is able to get them to settle for a few hundred K. That's sure. still brilliant. 
Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. He still gets a few hundred K yeah. out of it. So I think this yeah. is brilliant. I do not think this is overly litigious because of these swings in in his emotions that he had to go through and that Nagin described. And also it's like it's like there's money there. They're not the whole thing about the lottery, right? Is that there's that there's money. <laughs> So they could like they could just pull it out of another thing. Right. Like the next thing doesn't have to be 340 million. Yeah, pay for the mistake. He's basically asking yeah, them to pay for their mistake. For their mistake. Right. He's holding right. Powerball accountable. And I'm all for accountability. Agreed. Well, I think it's funny, too, because when you're talking about a quantity as huge as $340 million, like even 10% of that, which would be <laughs> right. a very paltry $34 million, is also... Ugh. More than sufficient, you know? Are you, um, I don't know. $34 million <laughs> sounds like, I mean, I don't even want it. If that's what you're giving, forget it. Okay, that's like nothing. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so speaking of accountability, another story that caught our attention this week is the lawsuit that six dating app users have filed against Match Group. That is the company that owns apps like The League and Tinder and yeah. Match. And they are accused of making the apps too addictive. Match has responded and said that these allegations are ridiculous. I can't wait to hear what y'all think of this one. Has either of you used the dating apps? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. So and and a number of them there. So well, with dating apps, this is separate from the lawsuit, but we have to acknowledge that there is a core contradiction within dating apps, which is yes. they have a mission of matchmaking. And if they right. do successfully make a match, then they're losing two customers or more um, if you're on field, let's say. And sure. then money making on the flip side. So there's a paradox of matchmaking and losing the customer and making money, um, which would help them grow. And we know that all of these apps are kind of losing money because apparently Gen Z really likes to meet in person. I don't know. Ugh. I'm an elder millennial, so <laughs> I can't relate to these people. But <laughs> Gen Z really likes to meet in person. And so the parent company has lost something like 40% in its stock uh, or in its um, stock price over the last year or something like that. So a lot of dating apps have been having to shift gears in order to entice more free users to become subscribers. And that is at the heart of this lawsuit because the um, plaintiffs are saying that they have been gamified, essentially. But my reaction to that is, isn't that true of every app out there? That's my same exact reaction is like, yes, of course, they're designed to be as addictive and, po as, and like trying to get as much money out of you as possible. Like, I have no doubt about that at all. And isn't that the point of capitalism? Like, could we sue against <laughs> anything that sells us more things? But this is, I mean, I think this is great because it's like the first, we're now seeing this first wave of like, oh, all of these apps have been killing us in various ways. They've been ruining our love lives. They've been stealing our brain space. They're making They've been us stealing sadder. Our they're making us that. I mean, the, yeah. the the details, you know, uh, we read a piece about this and a lot of the details about how sad and lonely these things are actually designed to make you, that end up making you feel. Like there's data out there. We're not questioning this anymore. It's clear that we all feel terrible. Also, open your door and talk to anyone on the street. Everyone feels terrible. That's what Gen right? Z is doing. <laughs> it's... <laughs> 
Ugh. And also, I mean, I'm just like pivot to speed dating. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. Get a nice room so and efficient. a table. Yeah. It's so efficient. Yeah. Let's get some people looking at people's faces. <laughs> um and and but I, I think that I think it's high time. I feel like this is the smoking moment that it was and when was that when they did all of the lawsuits for smoking in the 60s and 70s yeah, interesting. that was just like the, the 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 lawsuits that started killing the the supremacy of the industry now did it ultimately kill the industry no cigarette companies still exist but do they have guardrails are there a bunch of like regulations uh yes and is it much smaller Yes, it is. And I think that's what needs to happen to these tech companies. We've given away so much of our lives, and now we've given them the possibility of boning? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we've given too much, too much to a, to a phone. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not wrong at all. I mean, it's interesting, at least hearing you talk about, like, you know, initially the, the contradictory nature of dating apps in particular – and I think it was hinged several years ago where like their ad line was like designed to be deleted. Yes. It yes. still is. Yes, it still is. And it just illustrates that paradox. Also, this is an example of what the Internet researcher Cory Doctorow has been talking about for the last mm -hmm. couple of years. In shitification is the term. Mm -hmm. And yes. it's the idea that tech platforms start out really good and they start out free in order to scale, in order to, to get all of us to sign up. And then over time, as they have to switch to monetization and make revenue and pursue their ultimate goal of money then the whole user experience gets, quote unquote, in shitified. It gets worse and worse and worse, which is mm -hmm. what is happening with these mm -hmm. dating apps. I um, find that they cost increasing amounts of money in order to show you better matches. Yeah. But <laughs> it's funny that the, the claim is that they're addictive because I find that they um, undermine themselves by being mm -hmm. such bad experiences. Like, it's the opposite of addictive <laughs> to I, me personally. I it makes agree. me want to chuck my phone out the window. Right. Yeah, I would call it a hellscape for sure. <laughs> well, and I, it's so interesting because I was dating, I was doing the online dating, I think during the glory days before oh, the initiation yes. struck. And so <laughs> I had oddly good experiences, but it was different. Like I don't remember there being a $3 rose situation. Yes. I don't like breadcrumbing and ghosting and stuff like that was a little more, was a little less common, I think, when I was doing it. It wasn't all just about getting, like, the match. It right. was actually about following through with a date. You know what I mean? And now it feels, like, more gamified that way and, and way more miserable. So shout out to, like, mid uh, 20 teens when people were dating me um, because I had some really great times um, and, and some terrible times because some of those uh, dudes out there were a nightmare but like the ones that worked like those were some fun times um, but again like the what when when things go bad they just go bad yeah but yeah. yay for them for trying to take on the core conceit of these apps and the core conceit mm -hmm. of our entire economic system. Yeah, I admire it. I admire it. <laughs> also, why isn't this like a nonprofit? Like th mm. this should be run by like the Red Cross right. or something. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Yeah. That would, I think that is more aligned with the actual goals of humanity yeah. is literally about re <laughs> maintaining your heart. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I love that. 
Um, Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about with y'all is this new law that was proposed in Australia. It's called the right to disconnect, and it would give workers the right to refuse, quote, unreasonable communication outside of work hours. Businesses could even be fined if they punish employees for not responding to after hours emails. The bill is expected to pass. I would love to know what y'all think of this one. I mean, speaking of capitalism, it's just so hard to fathom that this would ever happen in the United States. Nagin, you're nodding. I mean, part of me was like, Australia, calm down. Like, you guys. But is that just because we're Americans? I guess I'm, I think I'm jealous because in terms of. Obviously, we're all jealous that we don't live in Australia. Well, their work life balance numbers, I did not know this. They are fourth in the world for having a good work life (sighs) balance behind New Zealand, Spain, and France. All better countries. What is the United States? Are we near the bottom? Mon Dieu, folks, we are 53rd. (laughs) We are 53rd. um, That's a better ranking than like healthcare and stuff, right? Great, great. (laughs) I love that you tried to find a silver lining in that. And the thing is, they all, okay, can I just also tell you about what the Australian, I just am like, you guys are asking for too much. They already get 20 days of paid annual leave. Folks, that's four weeks if anyone's doing the math. They get something called long service after that they get, um, a leave of six weeks if you've been at that job for more than seven years. Oh. They get mandatory paid sick leave. They get paid maternity leave. They get nationwide minimum wage of $15 an hour versus our seven twenty-five an hour of the nationwide minimum wage. I mean, they're doing so great already. And I'm just wondering... Do I, oh my god! Do I sound like a capitalist? Will business even function? If like, you know, I don't. I just because I'm just like, how do they even get anything done with all that stuff? Like oh I can't god. even fathom it. I mean, it's remarkable and amazing. But also, I do just think like, uh, I like have done a really great job as a human being, not to brag, but like I don't. Email, I try. I try very hard not to mm. email or text people that I work with. Mm-hmm outside of the hours it's so simple and there should also be just a stronger cultural thing happening that we all just do that it's it's like it's like saying hello when you walk into a thing it's like it's like it should just be like a Mm. that should just be the thing that we all do like because it's courteous i wonder though whether this is really top down from australia or actually a response to cultural change that's already Mm. happened because we do observe at least in the states a groundswell of younger workers I just want to praise Gen Z. Once again, they're dating better and they have more boundaries at work because for all of the Gen Z workers that you probably work with, you probably notice that they are better at setting boundaries. Gen Z is kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I only get paid to work this many as hours a week and I'm less yeah. and they are less likely to be responding at five in the morning or randomly on a Saturday night. I think with baby boomers, baby boomers and Xers and then millennials, it, there was more there were more cultural norms to sort of be checking yeah. all the time and be available all the time for fear that you would be seen as lazy by your bosses and managers and things. I think culture is already changing. And so the law is just kind of catching up to that. In the U.S., it could be the other way around. We could actually (laughs) do some sort of mandates such that culture catches up um, because we have less of a social safety net here in the U.S. and and norms that seem far more punishing (laughs) in the workplace. Yes. 
There was a great quote in the New York Times piece about this. They quoted an Australian workplace safety expert named Kevin Jones, and he said, work-life balance is a cultural marker for Australians. We go down to the beach and we muck about and we have time off. I just love it. I know, right? I'm so angry. (laughs) I was like reading the word muck about, Mm. the phrase muck about. And I was like, man, I don't even know muck about What does that even mean? (laughs) You know, it's... Like I like, you know, I live in New York City, mm. one of the greatest places. We have so many mucking about opportunities <laughs> that I don't get to muck within. <laughs> and it's it's like what a dream. So I do think in general, I would like more muck based, um, mucking based <laughs> legislation. Yeah. Like in general in the United States. We just want to be able to muck whenever we want, wherever we want. And just like muck about. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Here's to more mucking about in 2024. My mucking, my choice. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Nagin, Elise, thank you both so much for coming on. This was just the best. It's always a delight. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. In just a minute, we are going to do a deep dive on exclamation points. Exclamation points. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. If you are a woman who has ever sent a professional message of any kind, chances are you have had to do a delicate dance with your use of punctuation. Yes, we are talking about the exclamation point. Have you used too many or too few? It's different in a public Slack channel and a private one and a hidden one and, you know, all these different places. That is Anne Helen Peterson. She writes the Substack Culture Study, and she recently unpacked the fact that overwhelmingly women have been told that using exclamation points is unprofessional and that periods will take you farther in workplaces dominated by men. But also, if you don't use enough, you might seem a bit harsh. And of course, you must also seem friendly and approachable. So why is a black dot with a floaty line above it somehow coded as feminine? Nerdette producer Anna Bauman tried to get to the bottom of it with Anne. Why did you decide to dig into this very controversial punctuation? Oh, man, this is just like something that I think a lot of women that I know who have any sort of professional presence where they have to send emails or receive emails or communicate professionally in any capacity have had someone at some point in their life say like, you should use fewer exclamation points or Mm -hmm. conversely that they need to add exclamation points because they come off as like too stern or too cold in some, some way. And so in my mind, I think that there's a lot of complicated stuff going on in the performance of like likability, femininity Mm. and professionalism going on with the exclamation point. Because even taking a step back, like, what do you think the exclamation point signifies in, especially in a work email? 
And I feel like there are a lot of answers to that. Right. Yeah. I think uh, the most basic understanding is that it's like excitement, right? Mm -hmm. In some way. But then I also think sometimes it is used to soften <laughs> uh, a command, right? Like, right. like this is going to be fun. <laughs> or... Uh, <laughs> Let's work on this collaboratively, exclamation point, instead of like, let's get this shit done, right? Or like, right. let's get this thing done. Uh, and like I we think need that, it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it would be great if you could get this done tomorrow. Uh, and right. there are similarities, of course, and you can hear it in how I'm talking. I'm, I'm, I'm vocalizing these commands. There's similarities mm -hmm. in uptalk. Uh, and and just the way that I think people are trained to communicate in the workplace. So the exclamation point is just the written form of that more like conciliatory understanding of how you should communicate with people, particularly if you are a woman in a workplace. Right, right. And you kind of you wrote about this, too, of like equating it with maybe how a receptionist in the 60s might change their voice if they're talking to someone in an authority position or especially like a man in an authority position. Um, and it's so true. And it's it feels like this change in tone has just shifted onto our screens because we're using them so much more. Yeah, yeah. I think that code switching in whatever capacity, you know, for people who are of different status levels in society, like none of this is new. Um, mm hmm. But at the same time, we are communicating more with more people all the time, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like we are just constantly communicating in written form in a way that when people could communicate through would, you know, have to put communication through their written hand or in a typewriter. Mm -hmm. Like there just was not as much interdepartmental communication or interpersonal communication in written forms. And so I think that we are particularly cognizant of exclamation use, other punctuation use, emoji use, in part mm -hmm. because not only are we communicating in these professional settings, but we're also communicating with family members and all of our little group text groups and like randos who DM you on Instagram. <laughs> like there's all <laughs> sorts of ways that you're communicating all the time. Right, right. And emojis is just like its own. Oh yeah, no, like I almost like put in a caveat about emojis and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. It's I can't. too much. But I do right. think that the smiley face emoji, which used to be, and some people mm. still do this, is just like the colon and the, and the parentheses, right. that is used sometimes interchangeably with the exclamation point as a means of softening a command. Yeah. No, I feel like I do, like a lot of my emails for work are me putting in a request for someone to come on the show like I did for you. Yeah. It's a lot of requesting and like being specific about time. Yep. So it's a lot of like direct questions. And I, I absolutely use exclamation points like in the first sentence and the last sentence. <laughs> yes. And then I like make sure I don't have too many sentences in a row with either a period <laughs> or an exclamation point. It's like, I, I know I'm calculating it. Well, it's such a complicated thing too, right? Because like there's part of me that says 
Like, why do you feel the need to perform this conciliatory posture? Like, why do you mm-hmm. have to feel like, why do you want other people to think that you're being nice? Like, right. And then part of me is like, well, it's cool to be nice. Like, it's awesome to be nice and uh, collaborative with other people. Mm-hmm. And even though we valorize emailing like a dude in this country or you know what I mean? Like that, that is still somehow held up as like this incredible means of communicating with one another. It's not, it's not great. It's not objectively great. Mm. It's just Mm -hmm. held up as the standard because it has been the standard. It's been the status quo. And it's like, if the intention is to be nice, to be, to make the other person comfortable, then what is, what is wrong with that? Totally. You're like, oh, you know what school is not being a butt about trying to figure out a time that works to come on a podcast. Right, right. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be an arch exchange of commands. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. In in preparing for this conversation, I, I like did some Googling, of course, and yeah. it seems like people were really freaking out about this in 2018 and 2019. Huh. There were there are these think pieces like in the Wall Street Journal. There was one the tyranny of the exclamation point. Yeah. yeah. Um, BBC. There was one that was like the danger of using exclamation marks. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like why is why is this still happening? Well, I think all of the anxiety over the exclamation point is all about like because it comes from different directions, right? It's the mm. like you're using it too much or you're using it too little, and it really at heart is about policing women's speech. Mm. And I think that that like you can see this, you know, you say like people have really worked up about it in 2018, 2019. Like think about all the different times in the last decade that people have been worked up about like vocal fry. Yeah. And it's the same freaking conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like People use different justifications for why we need to be having this conversation. But it at the, the heart of it, it's about saying like your speech is different than how I think speech should sound. And that to me, like who, what standard are we policing towards? Like what is this, the accepted status quo? Right. And it all comes back to like white masculinized speech. Like if that's the standard that we're always policing towards, like I don't want to have anything to do with that police work. <laughs> mm. The phrase that you used um, in your piece, you wrote that tone is labor. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that is so important. I have not thought about it that way before. There's so much labor. Oh, my gosh. Like, uh, I think about it. I think the first place that I really started thinking about it in terms of like feedback is when mm-hmm. I was grading. I, was, I taught college and I taught high school. And uh, you just have to strike a very specific tone. And Mm. especially as a woman, too, like there are different expectations of women who are in teaching positions and what sort of posture they should take. And like, so how do I how do I both like figure out what feels right to me, but also resist this understanding that like all female teachers should somehow always be caregivers as well. Mm. Do you think you are going to change the way you use exclamation points or you know if someone asks you about their own exclamation point usage what what might you say to them you know i think that i wrote the piece after having arrived at some sense of comfort about my own exclamation point use like i had processed all of the the advice about 
using more, using less, like not liking them, whatever. And so for me, the piece was kind of a declaration of here's what I think is cool about exclamation points and why we should <laughs> figure out what feels right for us. And that would be the advice that I would give others is you don't have to do something that doesn't feel natural to you, but I think it's worth interrogating why you perform punctuation the, the way that you do, why you communicate in the way that you do. Who told you that you should communicate a certain way? Does that feel right? Does that feel true to the sort of person that you want to be in the workplace? Um, all of those things. What feels right? What feels true? And that takes work. I really appreciate that. Um, well, thank you so much for talking to me about this. This was really, really great. This was really great. Exclamation. <laughs> I had such a good time. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's it for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening along. I am so excited for you to hear our discussion of Kylie Reed's book, Come and Get It. That is, of course, our February book club selection. And the discussion is coming out this coming Tuesday. So keep an ear out for that. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Have a delightful weekend and we will see you next week. A little hack is when I don't want to use an exclamation, but I know that a period seems too mean, is I end with an M dash. Ooh. So a oh. lot of my emails you'll notice... I'm splitting the difference. I'm just not ending with proper pronunciation like, at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I'm I mean, like, it, it's long um, hyphen. Right, Elise. it sounds sort of like I don't know something like Guy Fieri would do. It's just like a dash at the end later. Dives <laughs> and drives. That was Goodbye. so offensive that you just compared my punctuation choice <laughs> to a Guy Fieri. <laughs> oh God. Punctuation I don't know. I choice. Call them how I, I thought see we them. were becoming friends, Nikki. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.